0: Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there, and thanks very much for joining us. Coming up on this episode, we talk donuts. They're back and they're tastier than they were before and also the business of art. But if you pay attention to local news and current affairs, you'll be well aware that the southwest region is proving very attractive to lots of companies involved in the wind energy sector. A report this week highlighted how Cork is becoming a real hub for international wind energy companies and also outlined interesting figures about the financial contributions coming our way from these activities. Dave Lenehan is the Head of Research at Wind Energy Ireland. He's with us now to talk us through that report. Hello and you're very welcome to Red Business, Dave.
1: Hi Jonathan, thanks very much for having me.
0: Uh, we're used to onshore wind farms. We know that they can cause people a little bit of upset if they're proximate to their homes, but it's really offshore where the future lies.
1: Absolutely Jonathan. So I think if you, if you take us back to 30 years ago, the very first onshore wind farm was built in this country and since then we've had real success I suppose with onshore wind in particular. Um Last year, for example, uh, four in every ten times we used energy, it came from renewables, and most of that coming from, from onshore wind. I think for us, going forward, we will need to see continued rollout of onshore. It's really important in the short term in terms of hitting our carbon emission reduction targets set by the Irish government. But over the longer term, and certainly five, six, seven years from now, we'll see the first large-scale offshore wind farms coming onto the system. And for Cork, I think in particular, this represents a fantastic opportunity. Um, you know, we've got some fantastic companies establishing themselves in Cork uh, to really tap into the offshore resource off the south coast, off the west coast. Companies like Statcraft, uh, Orsted, Simply Blue, Green Rebel, DP Energy, all these big, massive international and local companies setting up their, their large a footprint here in Cork City and Cork County, really with the eye on the prize, I suppose, for for offshore wind. Mm. Uh, just a, a, a sense of of where the targets lie for offshore over over the short term, I suppose the government have set a target for seven gigawatts uh, of of offshore wind to be connected by 2030. That is right now more than we consume across the country in a single day uh, at any given time. It, it's more than the peak demand for, for power in this country. So it's a huge scale. And beyond that, I suppose 2050 is when we're really hitting that net zero target for the entire society. And, and that's where offshore wind in particular, along with other support technologies, has huge potential. Yeah.
0: It. It's brilliant to see this happening and it's all decided to move to Cork which is great and we'll come to the potential financial benefits in a while and there was even articles I was reading on The Economist about how Ireland is well placed for this but the problem is the technology. Uh, we have got wind farms and they're operating successfully off I think it's off the, the, the Dutch coast and off the Scottish coast but down on the wild Atlantic way have the, have has this technology been tested sufficiently and do we know if it's going to work?
1: So I think it has. Uh, we we do see, I suppose, in the short term, very much the earliest offshore wind farms developing along the the east coast where we've got the, the shallow water depths and fixed bottom uh, structures. So basically uh, wind farms that are uh, with foundations deep in the seabed, I suppose, they'll be the first offshore wind farms we see developed. But we do see huge research ongoing. Uh, I know the the research centre Marae in Cork HQ out of Cork but with with uh, representatives right across the country in, in the third level sector doing some fantastic work here. Um, I was actually out in UCD myself yesterday meeting some of the ICRAG researchers uh, who were looking at the potential for floating wind energy and how we can how we can ramp that up. And I think some of those companies I mentioned earlier, they're very much in that kind of early stage R&D phase for, for floating technology, which we'll see uh, to develop off the Cork Coast, off the Western seaboard uh, in, the, in the 2030s, Jonathan. So I think that the technology is getting better and better all the time. The good news is the cost is coming down as well. And we will really see it to take off to become really competitive, I think, uh, in a couple of years from now.
0: Talk about the money, though. We, we mentioned at the start that there's an opportunity 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 for Cork to to develop here and to bring money in. Um, Where is that going to come from and what benefit is it for anyone else living in this community?
1: I suppose there's a a number of benefits. Uh, The the report you mentioned, Powering Cork, we were delighted to welcome um, Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, Simon Coveney, to the Kingsley Hotel on Monday of this week to launch that Powering Cork report. report. Uh, It showed how, I suppose, in 2022 alone, over 7 million euros was paid by local wind farms in rates to Cork County Council. Over 430,000 euros paid directly to local communities supporting wind farms in their areas. The scale of this when offshore takes off would be something we've never quite seen, I think, in in terms of of, of benefit and potential for for local jobs, local communities to really benefit. I'm not just talking about Cork City here, but all along the coastline down into Bantry, Castletown, Bear. All of these big wind farms will need uh, operation and maintenance facilities, for example. All of this will bring local benefits to to rural communities, I suppose, who, who, who need the support more than ever. From a kind of a a consumer-wide benefit, I suppose, offshore wind is going to unlock um, green, clean, zero carbon energy. Right now, I guess we're all suffering. Our bills are are going through the roof and all of that is is due to, to be frank, imported fossil fuels, which have just gone bananas over the past uh, 12 to 18 months the sooner we can wean ourselves off those dirty fossil fuels and rely on indigenous, clean, green, renewable power. That's, I guess, going to be a benefit, not just for those local communities, but for wider society too.
0: And, of course, it's cork power, which is even better again, if we can export it, never mind use it here. I'm sure the world will be very grateful. Last question to you, um, and it's a relevant one for anyone who has got kids in school. How do we get them into this? What areas do they need to study and become experts on so that they can access these opportunities coming forwards? Is it engineering? Is it, is it green energy specific courses? What do the next generation need to study now to benefit from this in the future?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a crucial question, Jonathan. Just in terms of of the workforce that we're going to need to get this sector off the ground. I'm a proud Corkman myself. I studied in UCC uh, a long, long time ago. Now at this stage in energy engineering, uh, and I was one of the first out outputs from that course. It was a new course at the time. We need to see lots more of those engineering courses, but also the broader. Uh, development of of new courses, I suppose, not just engineers, but right across the kind of STEM or STEAM, as it's now called, uh, area, I suppose, Uh, people that can retrain into this sector as well there's going to be huge opportunities there as we as we move away from from traditional industries into new clean green industries so right from the earliest uh, kind of secondary school where people are making their ceo choices right up to those people looking to to retrain and move into the sector i think there's going to be a huge demand a huge need to kind of almost do a skills need assessment uh, for this as, as we look to the future.
0: OK, sounds really exciting. Looking forward to seeing the benefits of that as it comes on stream over the next few years in every sense. Dave Lennon, uh, Head of Research at Wind Energy Ireland. Thanks for talking to us, Dave.
1: Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks very much.
2: Get the Red Business Podcast every
0: week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie Now, a rich red velvet flavoured donut filled with a cream cheese frosting and finished with a red and white icing. I'm I'm not quite at Marks and Spencer's style of voiceover but that sounds pretty good about now and you could wash it down with a signature blend of hand roasted espresso. I am actually kind of advertising myself if you need me to do kind of ads like that but the reason I'm saying it in such a way on the Red Business Podcast is because I'm describing the Cork Creamy Red Donut. It's the first ever county donut from the Offbeat Donut Company specifically developed to mark the bakery's first venture outside of Dublin. The store on French Church Street is fresh out of the oven this week, and company founder Brian Casey's with me on Red Business. How you doing, Brian?
3: I'm very good, Jonathan. Thank do, you very much. Do I get the gig nice now? I mean,
0: I'm, I, I put a lot of effort into that that voiceover for you there.
3: Yes, you did an excellent job describing <laughs> it. So hopefully, people get a good idea of the uh, of the, the donut. It's one of our uh, more popular products uh, at the moment. So.
0: Well, we'll get into the yeah. shop in a minute because I was in there and I met you the other day, and I have to say, blown away by the actual uh, the product and and the way of it all set up. But you're originally a Cork man, aren't you?
3: I am um, from Mitchelstown, Kilworth area, so North Cork. I was born in North Cork. Yes,
0: but you, your 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 business brought you to Dublin, and that's where Offbeat Donut was born, wasn't it?
3: It was. Um, I had spent about twenty five years working in the corporate world. Um, I always had a, a desire to open up my own business um I'm supposed to do it myself and uh uh I had worked all the all those twenty five years in the in the food business in bakery and in, in other areas of food and um I decided then to focus in on on you know setting up our our own bakery business and uh then it was about trying to figure out what type and how we'd put it all together and figure out along the journey. Um, how would make it interesting for people, and uh, how would make it exciting for people to buy products, um, and some delicious donuts or patisserie products, as we call them.
0: Yeah, I see, and and that's what's interesting is I presumed donuts were you know you produce a donut, you inject a bit of jam into it, and there you go, you've a jam donut. But you guys take it very seriously. You've got very fancy patisserie chefs designing these.
3: Well, we, we regard just the donut as the, the carrier, the, the base uh, product, and it could be a Danish pastry or it could be a puff pastry, um, but that's a light little pillow of, of um, dough that we use as our, our base to carry the, the recipes in. And whether that's a, a lemon meringue pie or the creamy red velvet um, or whether it's a, an apple crumble or a caramel um, dessert, Uh, We try and blend all of the ingredients so that that really delivers on on, uh, customers' expectations of of, uh, a lemon meringue or an apple crumble or a creamy red velvet cake or a Kinder Bueno donut, whatever it is we, we try and deliver and exceed people's expectations and yeah. those products. And it does, yeah. I, mean, I,
0: I did sample some the other day, it captures those tastes really well. They weren't, every, every donut I had was different and I had too many donuts, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> One of the things that I like about the Cork Shop is you get to see the entire process. Uh, you get to see the dough being blended, then you get to see it uh, being prepared and then rising and then it's put into the oven and, and they prepare and, and finish the donuts in front of you. How, how keen were you to make sure the process was as visible as... As possible in Cork?
3: Um, I think it's very important for people to be in, you know, to see how fresh the products are, to see how um, I think they're produced and to become involved in it. And a, it, it creates a sense of excitement that, uh, you know, is, is just unparalleled. You, you know, you need to be able to just view all of that happening in front of you. Um, and it just gives you more ownership, more participation. Um, the other thing it does for us is it gives a much fresher product because um we've just produced it that morning um or that afternoon and uh, you, you know it's it's going straight into the topping and finishing and then and then straight onto the counter to uh, hopefully then go home onto people's uh, plates or maybe it doesn't make it there maybe people eat it on the go
0: yeah they might um, they, it might not make it out of the end of french church street uh, that that's the reality <laughs> but you you do the coffee as well we mentioned the coffee at the start so how important are drinks to this because yes you are a patisserie but i suppose you need something to wash it down don't you
3: yes and coffee is very important to us we have um, our own blend it's a single origin arabica coffee um we source it um, in rwanda And it's roasted uh, locally in Ireland. And um, we take a lot of care and attention on it. And um, I think we deliver an excellent product in that area. And it's very, very important that I suppose the coffee and the quality of the coffee would match the quality of the... patisserie or the the donuts uh, that we produce
0: it, it's a, your your arrival comes at a funny time because we had loads of donut shops in Cork there were there were huge uh, before the lockdown uh, and as uh, you know I just noticed the other day they were taking down the sticky finger sign uh, on Emmett Place opposite the Opera House the shack was another very popular spot that's just closed on Oliver Plunkett Street so as others were closing you are moving in so uh, who's right who, who who's taking the right temperature of the market here Brian
3: well, I mean for us it's not just about donuts, it's about a whole experience. It's about uh it's about a bakery and it's about a bakery arriving into I suppose the locality and um being able to see it, experience, smell it and, and, and smell all that activity going on. Um and in, in that regard then the recipes are, are somewhat different. Some of them would have been similar to to the ones that would have been available in the shack or in sticky fingers. Uh, but many others are completely different and unique, um, and I think we do occasions and we do uh, bespoke products for for uh, businesses or for birthdays and, and things like that that are completely different to anybody else. Um, we can put company logos or people's names on the um, on the donuts, um, and we try to be different. We try to get involved, I suppose, in in those special moments of people's lives um, where they might be looking for a sweet bakery product and may not be looking for a cake maybe looking for something completely different mm.
0: i have to say it really is impressive and you can walk through from from one side of the building to the other uh it it, it really catches the imagination and the donuts taste outstandingly good brian i think you're here for the long haul uh, when are you open and what's the website if people want to have a look at you
3: the website's uh, Offbeat Donuts, that's D-O-N-U-T-S rather than traditional spelling. And it's dot .com, uh, offbeatdonuts.com. And um, our opening hours are from 9 o'clock to 6.30, Monday to Wednesday, and then we're open late uh, Thursday through Saturday.
0: Okay, so, so um, loads of time yeah. to get in there and add loads of fresh stuff, lovely fresh stuff available, including the Cork Creamy Red. Brian Casey, founder of the Offbeat Donut Company. Thanks so much for talking to us and welcome back to Cork, Brian.
3: Thank you very much, Jonathan.
0: Now, this is a first for Red Business. Our next guest is going to tell us about the world of digital art. Dr. E. Alana James is an educator. She's an author and she owns her own business as well. And she's exploring another area of her talent by creating works of digital art for an exhibit next month at the Marina Market. Alana, how are you?
2: I'm great. It's very exciting, this phase of my life, moving from one thing to another.
0: Yeah, tell me about digital art, because it's one of these things that I see on social media, and I don't quite get it.
2: Okay, so um, let me start at the top of the pyramid, which is that all art is a person telling a story. And that's the same, no matter what format it comes in. So And so we look at art. I think a lot of people have trouble with art. I think they think it's somehow mysterious. And in fact, it's a person who was trained to work with color and line, who's trying to express something that they see in the back of their heads and trying to get it out. Just like an author tries to get out the story in words. It's a similar kind of creative process. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I, underlying, the, I, well, underlying the person then is the media. And we used to have canvas and we used to have and we still have canvas. We have paper, we draw, we do all those things. So if you look at digital art as just a new media, then I think it'll make a lot more sense.
0: This is where I sometimes have the challenge, because if I bought a print on canvas, I physically have the canvas and I can put it on my wall and go, isn't that lovely?
2: Okay.
0: But how do I buy digital art and I have that same possessive experience?
2: Okay. So so let's just say that there are many kinds of digital art, just like there are many kinds of painting on canvas or paper. So you could have a watercolor or you could have an oil painting. You can have my kind of digital art is a print on canvas. And then I've actually over painted on top of the canvas. So you have a physical thing. I think what you're thinking about when you say digital art is something called NFTs. NFTs,
0: yes, that's 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 the kind of less okay, tactile so, thing, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. And that is well, it's in its very early stages, but what I anticipate is that people who own NFTs will have a screen much like we have pictures come up on our television screens. Um, we'll have a screen in our house and the NFTs will show on the screen yeah. because at the end of the day, you still need to have some way to show other people what it is that you've found important enough to purchase. Now, okay. So I, I already
0: um, like your art more, Alana, because it is a physical thing I can <laughs> hang over my fireplace. So you start off with um, uh, uh, something. So tell us what you start with.
2: Okay, so let me just say that then then within this digital art world that I'm in, the, where you're going to get a physical something at the end, um, artists approach what they do in several ways. So I have a lot of paintbrushes in my digital canvas. I can paint, I can draw, I can do all the things I used to do on paper and canvas. I also, though, it, way back in my art career, so I've been doing this a long time, Way back, uh, when I got to a point where I could draw anything and have it come out just the way I wanted it to, then that particular way of working became too time consuming for me. I was looking for things to go faster. So then I used to do collage. I used to take pictures of things and cut them out and rearrange them. And I can do that in this digital world as well. So what you'll see when you look at one of my canvases is a mix of painting and drawing, layers and layers, usually about 20 layers of different things have gone together and been rearranged until it gets to what I had in the back of my head is the image I was going for. And then in my world, I, I like canvas. I like the physical structure of canvas. So my work gets printed on canvas in a limited edition of 10. So it's, you're buying original artwork, which is a whole stage better, in my personal opinion, from buying a print because a print, you don't ever know how many other people have yes. the same print.
0: And that's true. So, your, so yours is very unique then. So if you if you buy uh, Dr. Iolana e. James' painting, it is unique to you. There may be common elements that appear elsewhere, but this one is yours.
2: Well, one of ten. And the ten. ten won't be exactly the same. If I, if I, and therein lies the beauty of digital, because if I sold just one, For all the time I put in it, you'd be putting me in the price range of many artists who are in the thousand plus range. And I believe that everybody should have original art in their homes and not everybody can afford a thousand plus. Mm. And that. so I'd rather do 10 at a hundred or a couple hundred and have them pay, still be worth the time I put into it, still make the business that I need to make in order to support my family but also have it's a rare privilege, isn't it? When you take in someone else's art for your home, you're essentially giving them a window in your life. You're saying something they did was important enough for you that you put it up. And for me as an artist, that's the absolute best compliment anybody could ever give me. How, so, How to... long
0: does it take you to come up with these pieces? I mean, it, it sounds well, like they're a labor of love.
2: They are. They are. They are days um and some of course like any creative piece some go well and they go fast and some don't go so well and they take a long time um some come to fruition some not so much uh but but they are a labor of love it is the most interesting years and years ago i was trained to be an artist years and years ago i wanted to be a famous artist and life came along, I went other ways, but I'm excited by being able to retire slash unslash uh, and do my artwork for the rest of my life. Well, isn't that a wonderful
0: thing to to have reached that point in your life? People can actually buy these. Uh, I mentioned the Marina Market, so tell us when the display is on.
2: Okay, so I'm going to be at the Marina Market from the uh, after the 20th of September for almost every weekend until Christmas. There's two or three when I'll be traveling, but, um, so most weekends at Marina market, I'll have a little hut and you'll be able to see my work and I'll definitely have some things up there in all kinds of price ranges. And then, uh, also though, remember Elana James all run together because that's both my Instagram and my website, elanajames.com and things can be purchased directly off the website, but I have to say, You're a better price if you see me in person because I really like. look forward to meeting people. And
0: you love a haggle as well by the sounds of it. I'm guessing you (laughs) love a haggle. It's hard to haggle on a website. Alana, it's brilliant. That's what the Marina Market was designed for, to bring people like you, to give them an opportunity to sell their wares. I'm really looking forward to seeing you when I pop, pop into the market at some stage soon. Dr. E. Alana James, educator, author, business owner, and most importantly, artist. Thank you so much for joining us on Red Business. It's a huge pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it from this episode of Red Business. Thanks, as always, for listening. Don't forget, you can download every episode right now from redfm.ie, and that's where you'll catch our video series, Red Business in Focus, as well, with thanks to Cork's local enterprise offices. Kira McDonough was the producer, and we'll catch you on the next one. Get the Red Business podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever
2: you get your podcasts.